Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Matthew Kimberley. For some people, a networking event is a fate worse than death. Like, you mean, I have to talk straight. No way, I don't want to do it, you know, and, and depending on my energy level, sometimes I'd rather just hide in my hotel room. It is an advantage, but also, you know, it comes back to what we said earlier about becoming specifically useful to one specific person and have a specific result for them. That means that people will always want to talk to you because you'll broadcast that this is what you do and we'll seek you out. Hi there and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. My name is Bob Gentle and every week I speak with incredible people who share their secrets to building, marketing and monetizing your expertise and intentionally growing a unique personal brand and the mindset you need for your business to grow and thrive. If you're new to this show, then while you still have your device in your hand, take a moment to subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode and you will make my day. Every subscriber counts. And if you are a subscriber, then for bonus points, consider sharing the show with just one person. And if you're watching on YouTube, you're the best. And while you're there, hit subscribe and also like and perhaps comment. And then you're really the best. So this week, my guest is not Taki Moore, but Taki said he makes me smarter and he makes me look smarter. It's not Michael Port, but Michael Port said he's been my secret weapon for years. And it's not Todd Herman yet, but Todd Herman said he's my trusted consigliere and always the first person I want in my foxhole. And these are people to whom I pay close attention. And alongside this week's guest, they are role models and mentors to hundreds of thousands. This week, I'm delighted to welcome the gentleman adventurer of sales and marketing, the host of the Marketing for Coaches podcast, CEO of Book Yourself Solid, Matthew Kimberly, my favorite. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. It's a thrill to be back. I say this every week. I'm really excited to have you. But when I say you're one of my favorite people, I literally mean it. I get emails from you all the time. I am a rabid unsubscriber. You're still there. Your podcast is great fun. I have held off buying your book, How to Get a Grip, for a little while. It's coming now because I asked ChatGPT to do me a summary and it looked awesome. So I'm really glad you're here. For the listener who's meeting you for the first time, can you maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, the kind of work that you do and why? Taki, Todd, and Michael said those nice things about you. Well, if I knew the answer to that, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd tell you the truth, but I really feel I've been blessed by the community that I've surrounded myself with. And that's not a word of a lie. You know, I think relationship building is the single... I've, I've, two things that I've done well, one by accident and one on purpose, to get praise like that from my heroes and, and you know, my friends... One is I did an apprenticeship of sorts with Michael Port about 13 years ago, 14 years ago. I'll tell you more about that in a second. And the other one is I have proactively worked on building meaningful relationships pretty much every day of the week, allowing for sickness and occasional vacations or hangovers or whatever that might be. That's been an absolute mainstay. So I, I had my background in sales, brought up in the UK, didn't go to university, immediately kind of went back by correspondence a little bit later, started working in sales. I did double glazing sales, timeshare sales, door-to-door sales, telephone sales. And by my mid-20s, I was in Brussels doing recruitment 
which is a sales job. Uh, uh, woe betide anyone who studies human resources and then goes straight into recruitment because they've got to unlearn a lot of stuff. But uh, I found I really enjoyed it. And I didn't particularly enjoy my boss at the time and decided, well, a very simple story, decided, hey, I could, I could do this without her breathing down my neck every day. So I started my own recruitment company with a partner and we did everything we were meant to do. You know, we hired young and hungry and we gave them traders jackets to emulate the Wolf of Wall Street style environment. We had a table football in the office on day one and, uh, you know, there was an expense account on Friday night behind the bar. So it, it was it was an interesting time. I was in my late 20s and, and 50% of a recruitment office with a very prestigious address in the central Brussels. And we worked with blue chip companies. We worked with IT firms, banks, pharmaceutical companies, fast moving consumer goods, medical supplies. So we would we were wet behind the ears, skinny necked, cold calling, highly stressed procurement professionals in multinational companies saying, hey, give us, give us a chance. Give us a chance. And and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the selling and I really enjoyed training the people who came to work for us. But something felt really off. And that was the vast majority of my day was spent talking about ERP, Oracle, Prince2, Prism, network engineers, software engineers, which is not my world. As long you know, I'd spent six years in it at this point, and it still felt like there was so much resistance i was dreading going to client meetings because i wasn't one of them and and uh, you know uh, perhaps a more ambitious person or a hungrier person or, or or a less spoiled person would have said well it doesn't matter it's a good job it pays well and you know putting food on the family's table but it it wasn't it wasn't right and i looked at i was now in my late 20s my son had just been born when i was about to be born my first son and I said, I've got to take the piece of this job that I love and drop the rest. And I love the sales and I love the training. And genius here said, I'll become a sales trainer. I'd been on many people's mailing lists around that time. You know, I started reading the books, Good to Great and Think and Grow Rich and Book Yourself Solid. And I got on the mailing addresses, got on the mailing lists. And um, just something thinking I'd become an independent sales trainer. I got an email from Michael Port, who wrote the book, Book Yourself Solid, which was published I'm going to say back in 2006, 2007, something like that. And the subject line of his mass mailing was, do you want to become a certified book yourself solid coach? And I said, yes. And I began my apprenticeship with Michael, divested myself of my uh, my part of the company, moved to the Mediterranean. I'm now in Malta and studied under Michael Paul. I gave him, I can't remember, $9,000, maybe, maybe less back in 14 years ago money. And became a book yourself solid coach. And there were a few of us. You know, he was he was very happy to license his IP to coaches all over the world. But I I saw this as an opportunity to be grasped with both hands. And so not only did I study everything in the system, which involves choosing a target market, building a relationship with your target market, making sure that what you're selling corresponds to their needs and their desires, how to price, how to position, how to market, how to sell, how to close deals, how to stay in touch, so on and so forth. I decided to master it and I did it with Michael as well. Michael, I think I was a real teacher's pet and Michael saw me and he thought I could probably trust this guy. You know, I could probably trust him with my own clients. And so he threw me a bone every now and again. He'd get, can you cover this call for me? Or I've got to do this client fulfillment event, but I'm not available. I wonder whether you might like to do it. 
And after a while, I think he, he was giving me so much, he felt guilty and paid me. And that was the beginning of my apprenticeship with Michael. So, so what then happened is I would co-host, co-design, manage much of the Book Yourself Solid business. And that was the stroke of luck that I referred to earlier, because when I wrote to Taki, I remember the first time I ever wrote to Taki, I said, hi, this is Matthew from Book Yourself Solid. And that immediately got a, oh, hi, yeah, of course I'll talk to you. Because I, I was I was standing on Michael's coattails and, you know, spending five or six years doing that, building relationships with his trusted relationships, whilst at the same time, I think, dedicating myself to my craft, that that allowed me to to enter more rooms than I probably deserved to based on merit alone. And since then, I've, you know, I, I, I've done various things. That was that was <clears throat> 13, 14 years ago. I, I, I left Put Yourself Solid for a little bit. I went back a few years ago and I, and I took over the company entirely. Now that Michael is doing heroic public speaking, and just at the beginning of this year, brokered the sale to Book Yourself Solid's new owners. So now I'm the CEO at Book Yourself Solid, but no longer an owner, and couldn't be happier because what I managed to do over the last three years is to promote myself beyond my competence, and <laughs> uh, now I'm back firmly where I belong. Uh, wrote a book that you alluded to, and also have programs about writing emails and selling and being a better coach and things like that. You really filled in a few blanks for me because one of the the puzzles that I've always had around you, and obviously I don't know you that well, we've never really spent the evening together as such. There's There's been a gap for me a little bit, and I think this is the gap that a lot of people struggle with, is there's the real world and then there's internet land. I think you know what I mean here. There are internet people and then there are the people you meet in your local community. And establishing micro-celebrity within internet land can be very, very difficult for a lot of people. And the people like Taki Moore, Todd Herman, Michael Port, they're very well known. And it was always a puzzle for me, what was the context that you were in there? And the Book Yourself Solid context answers that question really, really clearly. But what it also tells me is the power of relationships. And I think relationships are something that you've always put a lot of stock into in everything that you do and everything you communicate publicly. It's it's all about relationships. Your email marketing course, the delightful emails course. I haven't taken the course, but I see the fruits of it. And it's something to behold. I guess where I'm going next, I think you can tell I'm flailing a little bit. I do this from time to time. Well, can I jump in there a little bit? Because you said something that's really interesting, which is a lot of people struggle to become... Did you say micro famous or, or yes, micro famous or micro celebrity? Yeah, how do you how do you how do you get to that area of of recognition? And it's for me, it, it's exactly the same as the way you would go about starting a brand new business. Rather than trying to be everything to everybody, you know, Tony Robbins is Tony Robbins because he's been grinding away for five decades with you know huge uh, success and probably a lot of luck and drive and so on and so forth. But um, if you are a generic, hey, I can make your life better coach, speaking to everybody, then it's going to take you a very, 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 very long time to become uh, that micro celebrity. And so so instead, what we do is we start hyper local with, a, you know, we provide a single result for a, a very specific group of people. And, and you know, it's much easier to become a, a, a micro celebrity in, I don't know, writing delightful emails or chiropractors than it is to become the world's best copywriter for business owners. So I I would, and then you can roll it out. 
It's like how Starbucks got started. They became the best coffee shop in Seattle. And then all of a sudden they had three branches and then they had six branches and then they owned the world, you know? But you don't, I don't think, I think it's a mistake to, I don't think it's a mistake to be ambitious or, or set your sights high. Uh, but I think if your expectations are not matched with reality, perhaps you're you're doing something wrong. And, and word spreads, it doesn't take that long. If you are the only yoga teacher at the school gates, very soon you're going to have a book solid practice. It doesn't need even to be an entire town. It could just be the mums of the younger kids at school who are waiting to, before your, your practice is full. And, it's, and then you become a micro-celebrity. Well, who, 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 what, what kind of micro-celebrity is that? Well, it's the, the yoga girl at the village school. Wow. Or the yoga guy at the village school. So graduating from the audience is something that I was very interested in. I remember going to watch uh, a fellow in the UK years ago, uh, Dan Bradbury, a uh, very well-respected uh, business consultant. And he used to run live events. I don't know if he still does. And I remember attending a live event with a friend of mine, and it was a two-day pitch fest. But it was interesting because I'd never been to one before. Um, and the offers were commensurate, and I enjoyed the, the the science and the spectacle, and I learned a lot. I think it was two-day business coach university or something like that. And uh, and I turned to Chris, uh, who was my friend at the end of the two days, and I said, next year, I want to be on stage. And it wasn't next year, and it wasn't the year after that, but it was the year after that. And Chris worked for Dan, and Chris was my friend. And so we'd both taken different. And so Chris put me on stage, but that was because the relationship with Chris existed. You know, When I went to um, Chris Ducker's tropical think tank for the first time, uh, this was an event in the Philippines. I'm going to say it was 2015, 2016, something like that. I knew of Chris. I didn't know him. He had a reputation at the time for outsourcing and, you know, getting virtual staff in the Philippines. He had a company, Virtual Staff Finder, and he was just beginning to build his, his Upreneur personal brand brand. And I looked at the speaker list and there were some impressive people, you know, Hal Elrod and John Lee Dumas and Lewis Howes and... Peter Shankman, and one of my friends, Amy Landino, then was Amy Schmittauer. And, and then the final speaker was to be confirmed or to be announced or as top secret. And i like, he hasn't got the eighth speaker. He doesn't know who it is. And so I immediately pinged Amy, who I had a relationship with for various reasons, which go back even further. They go back five years before. It was being in a room at the right time and making friends with somebody who happened to know Amy and so on and so forth. It was going to a conference, Blog World Expo in Vegas. So I met a podcaster. I told him, hey, I have a podcast. And, and it got turned into a book. He's like, wow, you have to come on my show. And then he introduced me to Amy. We spent three weeks together in a blogger's rental car trip. And we had that relationship that way. But it was only because I got on a plane and went to Vegas. Anyway, so I pinged Amy. I go, look, I don't know Chris. I don't know any of the other speakers, but it looks like he's looking for a speaker. You've seen me speak. Would you put in a good word for me? I'll do it for free. And she said, yeah, of course. I said, I'll fly to the Philippines. No problem. And she goes, yeah, of course, sure. And she did. And Chris had kind of heard of me because of Put Yourself Solid. And he'd heard kind of good things about me from uh, the very few connections. And he said, yeah, sure. We'd love to, love to have you. Amy's, Amy's word means a lot. And so I flew over. I did a gig. James Tranko, who was there, he said, mate, that was one of the best talks I've ever seen. I want you to come to Sydney for my my conference next year. Great. That gig led to Dale Beaumont also in Sydney giving me a gig, relationships with all of these people. John Lee Dumas saying on air, Matthew Kimberley is the best speaker I've ever seen. And all of a sudden, you know, it was a journey that had started a decade prior, yeah. but it was relationships. And those relationships continued to bear fruit. So how do you become, how do you graduate from the audience? How do you achieve that micro celebrity when you put in the 
reps, you jump on the planes, you go to the rooms, you don't expect the world owes you anything. You take the opportunity when it's offered. So, oh, I will fly to that event. Or Chris has got, there's no speaker there. Maybe it doesn't, it never hurts to ask. The worst that could have happened in that situation is Amy said, listen, I can't, I can't do that. I don't think you're a good enough speaker. Or Chris had said, no, that would have been the worst that could happen. Both of those were livable with. But also then you want to become the kind of person who's not always asking. So I will fly for free to your event and speak for free on your stage. And I will work for you, Michael Port, for months and months and months with no recompense because I want, want to be of service. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure I'd do that now. I would volunteer my time for for non-for-profit or charitable endeavours for sure. Uh, but I'm not sure. I, I, I feel I've no longer earned... I, th- I think I've earned the right to no longer do that. Yeah. And Michael Paul, so in Book Yourself Solid, we have this system called the Network of 90, which is strengthening relationships with 90 of your most valuable people on a daily basis. It's basically contact three people a day and let them know that you you got their backs. So I might ping you and go, hey, Bob, it's uh, Matthew here. Hope you're well. Let's have a coffee one day soon. It's, it's just very, very low-key don't let your important relationships expire. Then we have the direct outreach list of 20 because people always say, well, I don't know 90 people, let alone 90 valuable people or people who might help me with my career. Okay, great. So let's, let's, that doesn't matter. Let's get to know people. Let's get to know the local captain of the chamber of commerce or captains of industry. Let's get to know podcasters or journalists or conference organizers with cold outreach or requesting introductions. And that's called the list of 20. So we're always tickling 20 new relationships. And we did a program a couple of years ago, and Michael was asked by a book reader, do you still have a direct outreach list of 20? And Michael said, actually, I don't. He said, now having done this for 25 years, if there's somebody who I want to meet, there's a very, very strong chance that I'm already connected already connected to them by, by one degree maximum. He says, and I'm generally not interested. I don't necessarily want to meet the head of NASA. I don't necessarily want to meet the chairman of the Federal Exchange. I don't necessarily want to meet, you know, a lot of people. But if there's somebody who is vaguely interesting to me, having that very strong network means that asking for an introduction is very, very straightforward. Yeah. And, and I found that to be true now. Also, you know, very few people that I want to have a relationship with that I, I couldn't ask for the intro. I think as well, alongside graduating from the audience, I think the stronger your personal brand and the associated authority becomes, the easier it is for you to reach out to people. People, you're a little bit more magnetic, so you don't need to work as hard. No question. No question. But it doesn't mean you have to be extroverted. It doesn't mean you have to go to charm school or learn how to be charismatic. Yeah, It is a bit of an unfair advantage if you are naturally very easy with people. Because for some people, a networking event is a fate worse than death. Like, you mean I have to talk to straight? No way. I don't want to, you know, and, and depending on my energy level, sometimes I'd rather just hide in my hotel room. Yeah. It is an advantage. But also, you know, it comes back to what we said earlier about becoming specifically useful to one specific person and have a specific result for them. That means that people will always want to talk to you because you'll broadcast that this is what you do and will seek you out. If you're, yeah, there, there is an element of emotional intelligence for sure. And I used to interview potential coaches for the Book Yourself Solid coach licensing program, which we're not running at the moment. But they, you know, there'd be an application, an interview, and I had a pretty good idea 
by the middle of the interview whether or not they were likely to run with it based upon their interpersonal communication skills mm. yeah, there is a if 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 you make it difficult for people to interact with you that might be a disadvantage and and less so now actually in the age of the internet because i know people who are running fantastically valuable networks just through slack or chat rooms or by email and they never leave the house i think that can work but it, it does require that community of purpose there needs to be that niche that you're filling and if 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 there is a vagueness to what you're doing that can be a very uncomfortable experience trying to build community i think you need to be bringing value to a specific person like you described i think some a place somewhere i'd like to go is you work with a lot of coaches i've worked with some coaches and i think the same is true as of any business owner that there comes a point where you've become moderately successful in a local community and you decide, okay, I want to play a bigger game and look at, okay, how can I scale things up? How can I play bigger? And a lot of people struggle to make the transition from doing okay in the local community to trying to, to take things online. And they will typically, from my experience, fall into the trap of trying to automate things and trying to get the quick wins. They want the sales quickly. They want the leads quickly. What you described was a 14-year process that led to a degree of success. But a lot of people, they're looking 14 months. I guess the question I'm going to ask you is, when you're working with coaches and lots of coaches, and within Book Yourself Solid, it's not just coaches. There's lots of different kinds of people. But what are the most common misconceptions that you have to reset people on? And what are the most common releases towards success that you see, the, the things that you re-educate and then suddenly they can move forward? Well, thank you, Bob. I think we're all spoiled, frankly. You know, I grew up in a I I, I grew up in a day where, you know, I, I, I worked commission only sales jobs for a very long time, which were brutal. If you didn't sell, you didn't get paid or you got fired. I was making 60 to 80 cold calls a day in my early 20s. And actually, I was cold calling before that. I was cold calling when I was 16 or 17 years. I was cold calling when I was 15 because I lied about my age to get a job as an appointment setter at Zenith Windows in Eastbourne. And there is, you know, form and, and sophistication and book smarts and study and seminar attendance when it comes to selling, which is what we need to master to get that financial freedom to to make bigger moves or bolder moves all, all of those skills are secondary to how hard you're prepared to work and i know it's not sexy and now i'm actually interested in working a lot less personally but i was never ever afraid of hard work yeah i i started off coaching hyper locally even when i when i trained up with michael i was living in brussels and before i moved to brussels after i've been with him for about six months to a year or something like that. My only clients were people whose offices were within a mile of my house. And I think the online community has been done a disservice. Oh, and I didn't have a mailing list at that point. I had three clients all paying me a living wage to consult part-time. And I think there's been, you know, a lot of disservice has been done to people who, who are looking towards online 
by people like Pat Flynn, who I love very much, but he taught for a long time. He was like, you know, first you build an audience, you build a relationship, you build value, and then you sell. And that is the absolute antithesis to everything I had been taught in my commercial sales career up until then. Are you flirting with them or are you taking them to bed? You know, are we dancing or are we doing the deal? And 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 frankly, you know, a lot of coaches are like, well, I think if I can have a nice website and I think if I can have a decent Instagram following and I think if I master GP, chat GPT for my content strategy, no, you need one person who can benefit from what it is that you're doing. And you need to find that one person. You need to say, I think in all good faith that the best thing for you right now is me. And I'm interested and excited to help you. Shall we start today or shall we start next month? That's how business is done. you know. And, the, and, if, and if someone is successful locally, that's amazing because it proves that they can do it. But all of the same rules that apply to doing it locally apply online. Yes, of course, there has to be an element of trust. And people make investments that are proportionate to the amount of trust that you've earned. So you might have a very simple trust-building exercise, whether it's a YouTube channel or a podcast or or just a convincing landing page, which is full of testimonials. And you're driving traffic to that with money. You know, I think a lot of people spend far too long preaching to the choir. So, you know, oh, I had, you know, my, my, my LinkedIn bubble or whatever they call them, you know, I've got 15 likes on my last post. The algorithm is going to favor me. Great. And I believe that all of these things are important. I also measure these metrics, but it's secondary. Or my question is always, how do these metrics correlate to the amount of money that I've made this month or this week or how many deals I've closed or so on and so forth? I speak to some coaches, unfortunately, and, and you know, other business owners as well who are not sufficiently committed and they're not sufficiently committed for one of two reasons either because they don't believe that they can do it which is a self-fulfilling prophecy or they don't need the money which is okay as well there's no shame in that uh, it's it's a hobby or they've yet to be convinced because they haven't tasted it and they haven't seen it but i'll speak to a lot of them and i'll say so how's the week gone how many how many clients did you work with how many sales conversations you had they're like no we didn't didn't make any sales this week or we didn't earn any money so i'm like okay there's no problem no problem let's let's just go back a couple of steps because something has to happen before the sale is made we have to send out a proposal or we have to invite someone to click on the buy link uh, we have to have some kind of communication with them a webinar a sales page a sales conversation uh, an advert and then we have to target them so so let's go back step by step how many sales conversations have you had Okay. How many webinars did you do? None. How many YouTube videos? How many LinkedIn posts? Oh, I just wasn't sure. Fine. I mean, if I, and probably you as well, Bob, you know, if we told our boss that in our first jobs, what'd you do this week? I oh, researched Instagram keywords. It, okay. it actually. What did you do? Oh, I had a conversation. I went to a networking event. Yeah. But what'd you do with the other 37 hours of the week? I, I'm sorry to say it, Bob. I see that amongst the people who are not crushing it and who are complaining about not crushing it. There is a genuine lack of relevant activity. And I think that there is a, an avoidance of discomfort. Of course, it's, it's, it's human. It's, yeah, but I think the one thing you illustrated in your journey, something I'm hyper aware of, is that nothing valuable is sitting where things are comfortable. If If you want to break gravity and you want to experience what other people don't have, then it's almost a cliche. You have to do what other people won't do. And that's typically going to be uncomfortable. It's not permanently uncomfortable. You desensitize to that discomfort. I agree. Once you're ensconced on the sofa with a, with a beer and a packet of Cheetos, it's very difficult to uh, get off that sofa because it's so nice. And I completely agree with that. 
And it's also okay to be comfortable, but you can't be okay being comfortable and then complain that you're not getting where you want to get or you can, but you know, I, I, that's where my patience runs out. I think coaches also suffer, you know, of course they don't want to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable, but there's also a real, very real imposter syndrome element there. You know, am I good enough? Why on earth would anybody ever give me that amount of money? And I still suffer from that, Bob. You know, every time I quote my rates, my sphincter tightens a little bit. I'm like, did I just say that? And and that's okay. But something that Taki Moore taught me is that the way that we overcome imposter syndrome as coaches is through service. It's very difficult to doubt our ability to transform people, situations, when we're talking to them and they're scribbling down notes. Yeah. Because it's evident that what we've got is valuable or they wouldn't be scribbling down the notes. They wouldn't be registering for time with us. So I would rather, honestly, you know, I don't like free sessions. I think discovery sessions are a bit of a crock. But I would much rather any client of mine who's at the very, very beginning of their journey is just talking to people for free all day long than sitting looking at their Twitter feed and going, how can I hijack this thread? Or how can I add value to somebody's LinkedIn post? You know, it's a bit of circle jerky sometimes. I think yeah. this is really, I, I, I do all of these things, you know, but I'm okay with the bottom line as well. You know, you won't, you won't catch me complaining. And relationships are important. But you're, to answer your question, what are people doing wrong? They're not thinking commercially enough. You know, typically to become a, a doctor, and maybe they're not committed enough. And I'm not a rah-rah alpha at all. But commitment is important. You know, if you want to become a doctor, you've got to go to school for seven years. You don't make that decision overnight. If you want to become a lawyer, you've got to go to school for five years. You don't make that decision overnight. The stakes are too high. If you want to become a coach, congratulations, you're a fucking coach. That's it. You know, so... Maybe there's a lot of players, maybe a lot of amateurs in the industry. And maybe that's why there is, I, I do see a lack of commitment amongst amongst people who are struggling to, to, to gain traction. I mean, there are strategic reasons as well, but strategy is nothing without the right attitude. You can have the best strategy in the world, but if I don't want to do the work or it doesn't really matter, then sod the strategy. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You just described my entire time at school. Let's assume, okay, somebody's listening and thinking, okay, I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to do the work. The reason I got in touch with you again was you have this PDF, five things every coach should do every day if you want to start selling. I can't remember exactly what the title is. I read it first, probably four or five years ago, and found it a wonderful framework for just pulling your finger out and doing something that will lead to sales if you do it consistently. Somebody's listening at home thinking, and the reason I, I go here is if you can't sell in person, you're never going to sell at scale through any kind of automation. And this is why I think the process that you have in this PDF is so important because it allows you to put together a process that will, it's, the, it's, basic, it's, as, it's as basic as physics. It will just work. So if you employ this process and you can get that working, then you can start looking at automation and things like that. But rather than have me explain what the process is very briefly, what's in that PDF that gets me so enthusiastic? It's step-by-step -step instructions for the first 15 to 30 minutes of any business owner's day. Or when I say any business development professional's day, and as a business owner, that's exactly what you are. Um, it includes very specific instructions for which tools you can use to manage your relationships, exactly how to manage those relationships, what to say, who to say it to, how frequently to say it, which piece of software is going to make your life easier if you need it. 
So there's you know two ways of two ways of nurturing relationships which are not the same as prospecting. So there's a bit about you know we, we talk about strategic relationships and put yourself solid. These are people who amplify us. No yeah. pun intended. These are the people who who can spread our message or make our effort go a lot further. So we've all got. I think in the PDF, I, I say, you know, there's there's some currencies available to us. We have cash and we have time and effort. But if we add relationship capital to that, our time and our effort goes further and our money goes further as well. Because I know that if my friend is running a conference, I'm going to get a discount on the booth. I know that if, if, I, if my friend is a genius on Facebook advertising, he's going to give me 20 minutes of his time. I'm going to save a fortune in trial and error and so on and so forth. Yeah. I, I so so we look at strategic relationships first of all. These are more important than prospect relationships, funnily enough, because if you land in a new town and you don't have any prospects in your database of dentists, but you know the head of the dental association, you only need one relationship to get access to a thousand, right? Or if you know the editor of the magazine who'll say who who will publish your your advertorial free of charge you've just reached fifty thousand readers and they're his people other people's audiences but it's not always audiences they have sometimes they have access to physical locations or inventory or relationships that, that might be valuable to you so how to be how to be a good friend to those people is the first two things how to build new strategic relationships is is the second things and then it's about nurturing and closing deals so, you know, are you going to, be, I think uh, thing number three is let's, let's move your relationship with your, we get, we go from, so, so I like two types of CRM. We have your personal CRM, which is, which goes with you from company to company, or it goes with you for the rest of your life. This is your contact list on your iPhone. These are the people in your personal address book. So we spend the first 15, 20 minutes of the day looking after them. And then we move on to our company CRM, our sales CRM, our business CRM. That's where we move away from strategic relationships to prospects and prospecting and closing business. And in order to close the business, we've got to open the business. So one of the things is how are we going to add new people to our pipeline? The next one is you know, how are we going to create new opportunity and very specific instructions. This is what you need to do to create opportunity. Then what do you do with that opportunity when you've got it? Very specific instructions. You're going to move your prospect in your pipeline from the left-hand side of the screen to the right-hand side of the screen. And that's how. And so I've broken that down into five steps, maximum 30 minutes a day, maybe more, but if it takes more, great, because that's precisely what you should be doing. And people ask me, they say, okay, so I'm a coach. I've got my business. I've got my certification. I've got my website. I'm doing your five things. They take me about 45 minutes every day. What do I do with the rest of the day? And I'm like, do the five things over and over and over again. <laughs> you know, keep stuffing that pipeline because if you're not working with clients, you've got to be working with prospects. I think this is the thing that I come against again and again and again is if you're not selling, it's purely because you're not doing specific things. If you start doing those specific things, the sales are the natural consequence of that. And what I love about your primer and the reason I reached out to you was clients have this issue all the time. And it's a really straightforward, if you want this, do this. Easy as that. But people make these things difficult. A lot of people, a lot of coaches I've met um, are, are very good at kidding themselves around what constitutes commercial activity. So uh, they'll be very, very busy. I met somebody the other day who has seven funnels. They've just spent the last you know three months building seven funnels. I was like, great, how much traffic you get? No, none. 
Yeah. Like, well, wouldn't you rather have one funnel with traffic or wouldn't you rather have one Calendly page and invite every single person that you ever meet for a month to schedule a call with you? Wouldn't that be smarter? Now, there are always exceptions to this. People who know what they're doing may well, you know, people with capital reserves that are, that justify building out. Another one of my clients has the capital reserves and the team available to have spent the last nine months building out a very complex marketplace with the utmost confidence and the advertising budget to send the traffic to it with the confidence that it's been time well spent. But if we're not playing with big budgets and we don't have a large team, the best thing that we can do is buy ourselves time in order to, you know, uh, spend it on building funnels or, or doing the fun things. The only way we're going to buy ourselves time is with cash, which means we generate cash. We can pay somebody else to do the things. We generate cash. We can pay somebody else to design the thing. We generate the cash. We can spend money on advertising. There is no... Listen, I think lean referral-based business, you know, zero cost. Of, well, there's no such thing as zero cost of customer acquisition. They've always It's always cost you time or effort or relationships or money. I'm a big fan of that. If we can get clients as cheaply as possible, that's amazing. But you come to a certain stage in your business where many of my friends, and I've been there and I've been back. I'm not there at the moment. I'm not interested in doing this at the moment. But, but you know, once you've scaled to a certain point, you realize that the cheapest way to acquire a client is with advertising. Mm. But like you said, the trial and error to see success for that cost money. And there, there's also the danger you run out of money before you get the formula right. And that's a problem, I think. An awful lot of programs that I encounter online for funnel building are essentially marketed um, on the basis of the, the pain point that they're addressing is the discomfort that you have with actually selling. They're marketing, avoiding doing the hard work. But if you can do the hard work, if you can learn to sell, everything from that point onwards will be fairly straightforward. Well, there's there's always there's always a market for the magic bullet. Yeah. The magic the magic silver bullet, whatever you call it, is going to fix all your problems, which is why that, you know, such a popular copywriting hook is get X without Y. You know, get a ton of leads without picking up the phone or get ripped without giving up cake or whatever that might be. You know, this is everyone's looking for the for the and, and there are sometimes delightful ways of doing things. And sometimes we have those shifts and we go, oh, it doesn't have to be hard. But also we have to be realistic. Yeah. And I think for most people, they need it to be predictable. And I think that's why I like the system that you have in this PDF. I love the book, Yourself Solid methodology in general. I, for me, that was a huge eye-opener, really what led to me being in the business I am now. But bet on yourself. I think is is the core message here. Better uh, you know, I run a program called the Single Malt Mastermind, and uh, it's an email accountability program, and I've had seven hundred people through it so far. And if you're listening to this and you you know you want to have me hanging over your shoulder for a year, saying what have you done this week, what are you going to do next week, you know, I actually I have the data on this. You know, the data, the people who are busy, and the people who are productive are not always the same people. I like to think that I'm the opposite of busy. One of my former colleagues, Walt Hampton, brilliant. I'll never forget it. You know, he says it all the time, but I heard him say it once. He said, how are you, Matthew? I go, I'm busy. And he looked me in the eyes. He goes, I'm so sorry to hear that. You don't want to be busy. You want to be productive. Yeah. I, I heard a quote the other day. I posted it on LinkedIn this morning, actually, which was the future is purchased by the present. And so many people are spending so much time or the things that seem to be important today, that they never do the things that are important 
for tomorrow. And I think that for me is something that you've demonstrated over the last 14 years. It's why you have what you have today, because you were willing to do what was important, not necessarily for then, but for now. I think that's a nice place to leave it. I'm aware I've abused your your good graces probably for long enough, but I'm sure you'll be back. You're probably one of very few people that have been back more than once. If somebody's listening at home and they want to go deeper with you, obviously single malt mastery, mastermind, it's not hard to find. Where else would you like to send people? Well, I think I think the single malt mastermind uh, gives you an insight into my, that's a kind of long form insight into uh, the way I think about things. Uh, there's another place called uh, delightfulemails.com which is also a long-form sales page, but I think you might find it instructive and, and fun. And if you'd like to get on my mailing list, which I would love you to, uh, I write regular emails, which I enjoy probably more than anything in the world. You can do that at matthewkimberley.com or marketingforcoaches.com. I ask all my guests exactly that question, but mostly I unsubscribe to their stuff very, very quickly. You're probably one of very, probably the only person whose emails I actively look forward to and occasionally reply to. Matthew's email list is worth getting on. It really is good fun. Matthew, you have been great. I'm very grateful for your time. Before I let you go, actually, I need to remember my question. What's one thing you do now that you wish you had started five years ago? Yoga. I've been, doing it, I've been doing it for two years and I love it. Bob, it's transformed my life. And I never, you, you looked shocked when I said that. I don't think you were expecting me to say that. And I, if you'd asked me two years ago, the same question, it would have been something, I don't even know what the answer would have been. I'm feeling a little bit sick in my mouth. To have a self-care, I will deny saying that. To have a practice, you know, I up until my 40s, my self-care practice was, let's have a whiskey, let's go out the weekend, let's have fun, right? And I, no regrets, not a minute of regret. Now, to have something which feeds tomorrow and isn't business-related as a regular part, it's like I've spent the last 20 years investing in relationships with everybody else. And this ridiculous three times a week yoga practice I have now is investing in myself. And I, I can't tell you, you know, I, in my fifth decade now, back pain has been an issue, but it's not when I do this. You know, not sleeping great has been an issue, but it's not when I do this. And I notice if I have to take a break because I'm traveling or whatever, then I start to miss it. So uh, no regrets. I don't regret the journey I've been on. But if if you'd said, you know, if you, I remember I went to a yoga class in Belgium in my early mid 20s. And it was great. And I loved it. And for whatever reason, I stopped doing it. I would feel different. And, and you know, yours might not be yoga. It might be tennis or it might be cycling or it might be something. And, and also a lot of folks my age, I've heard say, you know, I spent a lot of my time not doing anything physical. I'm not a sporty person. It's okay. I wasn't. My trainer told me, you know, you're pretty lucky to still look the way you do today after all the shit that you put in your body over the last 20 years. And, and even if you're not, I, I, I wasn't. And then one day I thought, well, what can I explore? What's fun? Is it rock climbing? Is it cycling? Is it walking? Whatever. Um, I would scoff at this in my teen, in my, in my, in my younger years, because I knew everything, but smarter people knew it. When you got your health, you're fine. You know, everything else is a luxury. If you haven't got your health, nothing else matters. So let's invest. Let's invest. Uh, I wish I'd known that years ago. Maybe that. Maybe that more than yoga is like. I wish I'd invested more heavily in my health from a younger age. Maybe. You know what's really interesting listening to that is causation is not correlation, or correlation is not causation. That's the way you would put it. But I do spot patterns after a couple of hundred of these interviews, and it's really interesting that to a person, 
because I know commercially what my guests are up to. I know where they are financially, roughly. And it's interesting that almost to a person, there is either a yoga or a meditation practice universal and it, and it's and those are the only people who typically message men mention it so clearly time spent looking in and spending time with yourself really matters and i think accepting or embracing a yoga practice does suggest that there's a reflective nature there so reflection is probably a clear success indicator i would say Matthew describes meditation to you know one of one of his most important tools is is meditation. He'll say that loud and loud and clear as well. Thank I you haven't asked him yet. I'm trying to get him on the show, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh-huh. Matthew, you've been great fun as always. I'm really grateful for your time. It's lovely to know you to a point. Would love to get to spend a bit more time with you sometime. But for now, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me.